Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Candace Creaseman Mowry, and this is Beyond Therapy. It only takes us coming together, making just one life better than we found. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond Therapy. Today, we are kicking off season two. What? Uh, And this is going to be probably my favorite. I already know it's going to be my favorite conversation of the season because this is such a cool topic. Uh, We're going to be talking about the use of tarot in counseling work. So to have this discussion, I'm joined by Drea Bloom. Drea is a licensed clinical social worker and has been for almost 20 years the same amount of time that she's been working with tarot cards. She has always been interested in how therapists can integrate tarot cards into their sessions and has written several books on the topic, including Journaling the Tarot, a little book of big questions, and the Tarot Activity Book, a collection of creative and therapeutic ideas for the cards. These are under the name Andy Metzner and Tarot for Transformation 2 under the name Drea Bloom. So welcome. Oh, Candice, <laughs> thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm very grateful. So yeah, thanks. Awesome. Well, I, I have several people on my staff who are like chomping at the bit to hear this because they are very into tarot and I think would love to be bringing it into their sessions. So okay. yeah, it's a very excited for this conversation. Awesome. Um, yeah. So to get started, I'm curious, how did you get interested in tarot? Yeah, great question. So I've always been interested in the metaphysical and esoteric and paranormal. So from the time I was a kid, UFOs, so I'm growing up, growing up in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so, you know, pre-internet, uh, UFOs, yes, Bigfoot, um, you know, the Mayans, pyramids, pyramid power, just you know, the connection between, you know, who built the pyramids? Were they aliens? Um, there was a book, Von Daniken. What was his name? There's a German guy who wrote a book called Chariots of the Gods. And his his theory was that, you know, all of these ancient civilizations were actually um, either populated or, or visited or influenced by aliens. And he had all this proof, <laughs> you know, like, again, pyramids were built uh, not by the Jewish slaves, but by aliens. Anyway, you know, looking back, it's like, whoa, but it grabbed me. I mean, I was just fascinated by those kinds of things. But tarot, both tarot and astrology always put me off. I was like, oh my goodness, these are way too complicated. So I left them alone and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody who read tarot cards. So I just didn't have any exposure. Fast forward to 2000, you know, so several decades, right? A number of decades. So 2004, I graduate with my MSW. And of course, what do I do? Not like what a lot of people do today, where they just kind of head into private practice. I I did the paying your dues. So I I did spend one year working for an agency, a local, you know, community-based agency as a case manager. And, you know, it was very toxic. It was very tough. And I remember, you know, just to give myself a break during the day, I'd hop on the internet and just kind of mindlessly surf. And I could not tell you how I happened upon this website, but somehow, right, synchronistically, right? So nothing is by chance. Somehow the universe had me uh, find this website 
by Joan Bunning. It was a Learn Tarot Online, Joan Bunning. And it, it was simple. It grabbed me. I don't know. I just, I guess I was ready. And so I spent the next several months during my breaks at work learning and really soaking up tarot. I'm like, oh, wow, this is fascinating. And it, it wasn't that I felt, and, and I got a, a deck of cards, the, the Rider uh, weight deck, or we call it the Waite Smith. The, the artist of that deck is Pamela Coleman Smith. Um, but the imagery, I just, there was something about the imagery that, that grabbed me. And so, you know, 2004, I'm feeling like, okay, I can learn this. I don't know if, I, if I'm going to be able to use this to tell the future, but there's something just drawing me in. And then the, the clincher, what really pushed me into everything that came afterwards was I discovered, oh, there's a book that is a classic book that at that time, like, oh, everybody should read. Okay, what is it? Well, it's called 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel mm -hmm. Pollack. And she takes a Jungian approach, a very metaphorical, symbolic approach to the cards and very psychological. So I'm reading this book and she's interpreting the cards. Again, not this is how you foretell the future. You know, those questions, when am I going to get married or is my boyfriend cheating on me? It's like, no, no, no. Let's talk about, let's talk about archetypes. And so reading this book completely changed my worldview because I realized, oh, okay, I can use tarot in a very psychological way. And it's very, because it's all symbolism and, and imagery based. And, and I love being creative. Originally, I thought I was going to become a music therapist and I love art, all that stuff. And so I also, you know, was learning just on my own about art therapy and expressive arts therapy. And it just occurred to me, it's kind of like that commercial with the chocolate and the peanut butter. <laughs> you know, they come together and, oh my gosh, it's a yummy sweet. Oh, wow. So you've got these cards with all of this archetypal rich imagery. And then you have art therapy. And it wasn't that I was going to go back to school to become an art therapist, but I thought, well, I guess you could, you could use tarot cards the same way art therapists use other imagery. And so that's when I just started reading as much as I could and buying as many books as I could about art therapy and thinking about, okay, what are these activities that art therapists are doing and how might they apply to tarot? So really, yeah, 2004, 2005, 2006, I just became immersed in the psychological uh, connection between the cards um, or with the cards. And I mean, the problem was that there were very few other books that mm. talked about that aspect. So a lot of it really was me kind of creating my own kind of world with tarot, but yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I was a lowly case manager and I guess it kept me sane <laughs> during that time. Um, so I think this whole idea of what does it mean to be a therapist, you know, the wounded healer, I mean, here we are connecting with people in a very shamanic, you know, that's what therapists were, right? I mean, we were the shamans, the medicine people um, in these cultures. 
And so I think where tarot comes in and even things like astrology, right? This, this, this otherness that I think people are hungry for, but it's, it's very much being creative in therapy that I think is really the most powerful way to connect with healing mm. you know, for our clients, for ourselves. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, tarot is such a beautiful example of bringing the creative, bring, you know, bringing the intuitive, bringing that, that depth, you know, the deep wisdom that all of our clients have. Cause it also, I mean, thinking about symptoms, right? Because, you know, why is this person depressed? Well, maybe they don't have enough vitamin D, you know, or it's a, a vitamin D deficiency or a thyroid issue or seasonal affective disorder, you know, or, or whatever, they're eating too many carbs, whatever it might be. But I love the Jungian perspective, which is that, well, these symptoms, we don't want to get rid of them because they're messengers from your soul, right? It's, it's the, these symptoms are trying to, they're communicating mm -hmm. in a very creative way, right? With our conscious self, like, hey, listen, I'm going to make you listen mm -hmm. by creating these symptoms. And then what does that mean that we do with those symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I do feel like this whole um, kind of vein in psychology, like this, this way of being creative and tarot cards are a way of that, like that that excites me as far as um, what, you know, what does it mean to be a therapist and, and hopefully not being afraid. I mean, cause that's my thing. I don't want therapists to be afraid of integrating tarot and we can talk more about that, but I, I've certainly experienced therapists who are very black and white, who are like, no, that is the tool of the devil and you shouldn't be using that. And if you do, I'm going to report you to the board, which, you know, Ooh, the board really, it's very aggressive and it's very, you know, sometimes hurt people hurt people, right? So I'm like, oh, okay, sure. this person, yeah. And I hate, you know, but sometimes it's true. Like these people have been triggered and they're taking out, you know, they're projecting all of their stuff, right? In a very aggressive, violent way. Mm -hmm. um, but that can be scary and threatening for therapists. Like, ooh, then I, I don't want to touch tarot. Uh, and we can talk more about how whatever these people believe that tarot is, it's absolutely not the case in terms of how we're using it in session. And you've already kind of gotten into this a little bit, but especially as you started to integrate tarot into your clinical work, what appealed to you about continuing to go deeper? Like what sorts of things were you seeing in your clients and in your own personal experience as you started to kind of get into this a little more? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think what's so beautiful, and again, I'm not trained as an art therapist. But what I love about art therapy is this idea of, of imagery. When we're exposed to an image, things immediately come up. And so we're bypassing, and I know this is a very simplified way of thinking about left brain and right brain. And there's a lot of controversy about, you know, is it really true that left brain is logical and right brain is creative and all that? But you know, if we think of it in terms of, again, I've been a talk therapist forever, but obviously somatics, I mean, all sorts of things are important. But to have imagery that when we encounter it immediately brings up things for us that are coming from our deepest intuitive wisdom. 
And so that's what attracted me. Um, you know, the tarot deck consists of 78 cards. So you've got 78 opportunities in terms of each card is representing different archetypal energies. And, and in terms of, and we can talk about diversity. I mean, this is connected. Uh, there are many, many, many different tarot decks. And so, um, it is, and, and so a number of decks, especially in more recent times, uh, there are decks that are very diverse in terms of the imagery, in terms of ethnicities and genders and the ages of the people in the deck. Um, so depending on the deck, no matter who we are or our client is, there are 78 chances to encounter imagery that is, is going to pull things out of us, right? Because things are going to immediately come up. And so that's, that's what really attracted me because I thought, wow, what, what an efficient way to connect to intuition. And especially something else I love is sound. And so I work with singing bowls and gongs and that sort of thing. And so I'm very interested in altered states and drumming, you know. So I, I love exploring how to create altered states because what and hypnosis, right? So what can you do when somebody's in a trance? Well, you can connect with their deeper self or deeper selves. But for me, the cool thing is, and you know, you can hold in the palm of your hand, literally, this tool that you know, depending on your intention, can do the same sort of thing that will absolutely connect you with what is true or what your soul wants you to know is true. So I think that's what I realized the more I worked with tarot is it, it, it can expand and contract. So, you know, if, if you and I have only five minutes to work with the cards, we can get very important, powerful information of five minutes. Or if we have two hours to work with, even a single card, the information will expand to fill those two hours. So that's what I love about the nature of, of the cards. So I'm curious, how, how do you orient folks, particularly those folks that come in saying, I have major depressive disorder. I just had another episode. I would like to you know, enjoy pleasant activities again, make these quote unquote symptoms go away. How do you, or do you, uh, bring someone who is in that sort of space, uh, into some sort of openness to one, see their symptoms as messengers. Cause I totally resonate with that approach. It's like, these are not problems to be solved. They're messages to hear and integrate. Yeah. How do you bridge that gap for folks who are maybe also really in that mindset of evidence-based practice and symptoms? Another great question. And this is something we talk a lot about in a Facebook group that I run. Um, a Facebook group is called Therapists Who Tarot. Ooh. And it's, yeah, it's for therapists who either already use tarot in their practice or are just interested in tarot and they're not yet using it. So yes, okay. Therapist with Tarot, it's, we've got almost 800 people in it now. Um, yeah, so there's, and we often, the reason I bring it up 
is because what so to answer your question i'll i'll say this i i i think i want to attract a certain kind of client and you know th this goes back to who are our ideal clients and i i certainly would prefer to work with people who are a bit more open-minded in terms of uh, the way that i prefer to do therapy so how do you do that so i think again to answer your question i'm going to start and this is what we talk about um, like in our meetups i'm going to start with my website you know, my promotional material, um, including language on the website, you know, let's say a photo of me with crystals. I mean, it's, it's what's the vibe of my website um, and the languaging, because we often use language like poly-friendly or kink-friendly or, um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a proponent of healthy at any size, let's say. And so, well, why not include tarot-friendly? Mm. Right. Or even in your psychology today profile, you know, if you're in a directory, uh, tarot friendly or, or even things like, you know, pagan friendly, Wiccan friendly. Um, that kind of languaging is going to be picked up very quickly by somebody who traditionally has felt um, that they weren't able to, to share their interest, let's say, in tarot with a therapist because they're afraid of being judged. So right from the get-go, having that. And then the other piece is in the informed consent. Oh, and like, because you can also say, you know, again, in, in your about, you know, how do I do therapy? Well, um, you know, I love using CBT, but I also am influenced by depth psychology and Jungian psychology and, you know, dream work, whatever it might be. And so that is going to give a person a sense of where you're coming from. And then in the informed consent, you can certainly put, which ideally the person's going to read, you know, and again, get, get a sense of, um, you know, I have a menu of therapeutic modalities, and, and this includes, again, CBT or, or ACT or DBT or, you know, dream work, tarot, you know, intuitive work, expressive artwork, whatever it might be. And so you're also in that sense giving the person permission to ask you questions and also it gives you as a clinician a great excuse to bring it up mm. that first session like hey do you have any questions about the informed consent as you know if you're interested we can always bring out the cards uh you know i use them very intuitively not to read your future or anything like that but more as a tool for you to uh, connect with your intuition so so you really lay the groundwork so when that person comes in with you know major depression i you know my spiel is let's um let's think about all the different ways that that foster depression mm -hmm. right? and again I, I you know i always want to know about what they're eating and drinking you know, and, and is it seasonal, you know, is it an issue with the sun, that sort of thing. But also what I'll say is, you know, at the same time, it's, it's interesting to consider the idea that symptoms are a way of our soul letting us know that something needs to change in our lives. You know, does that resonate? And, you know, just kind of getting a sense from their response if that's an avenue to go down. But see, ideally I want to self I want people to self-select into my practice to where it's like, 
oh yeah, let's, I want to use that tool or could, you know, could we use that tool? Like, yeah, absolutely. So that's because I think I'm not the right therapist. If somebody says, well, you know, what I've read online is that the best treatment for depression is CBT. So that's, that's what I want to use. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not the right therapist, but hopefully I, that doesn't happen because of all the groundwork mm-hmm. that I've laid. Yeah. It brings to mind how much, uh, clarity that requires, you know, in terms of what you're about and, you know, what resonates with you. And I, I work with a lot of younger counselors, younger to the field who are in the process of getting their full license. And I'm thinking about how that sort of professional anxiety shows up in terms of still very much wanting to do counseling right. Uh, and how limited that way of being is, but understandable, right? Because they've come directly out of a program that's told them this is what it looks like to be right. So I'm curious if you had to work with any of those kinds of blocks yourself to get to a place of being open, willing to integrate these pieces, or did it just feel kind of like a natural extension of your growth as a clinician? Well, and I want to certainly have a shout out to your book. You know, um, everyone, Candace has written a book. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, soul wounds, right? And and so I think, and what impressed me about your book was about, you know, this idea of the stories, right? That these messages that we get as children and these narratives really direct our lives. And, and I really believe in that. And so for me, so to answer your question, I might be a little, I don't know if I'm, somewhat of an anomaly, but uh, I grew up in a very controlling environment where there are very much kind of rules. Um, And so I absolutely have rebelled. I'm all about, you know, F the rules and I'm going to do things my way and don't tell me what to do. Right. I mean, you can very clear, you know, don't tell me what to do. So as soon as I entered the world, of social work, you know, certainly in my master's program, and then um, just experiencing agency work, and then doing a lot of part-time work also for kind of institutional um, places as I was getting my private practice off the ground. I'm all about, well, and and I'm also all about the shamanic connections, because I have a master's degree in cultural anthropology. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. I had a whole life um, before I went back to school to get my master's. So I lived in Hawaii and Thailand and Japan and Australia, um, doing teaching English as a second language, but also doing a lot of um, independent research and working as a journalist, mostly about gender. And actually, the, the gender piece is what took me to the whole cross-cultural shamanic tradition of you know, who were the shamans typically? And, and often shamans were either people who, who had had what we would consider to be a psychotic break, mm. which is considered in many cultures um, a message that you're being called to do this work. And if you, if you don't, if you ignore that, then you really decompensate and bad things will happen. And if you don't ignore it and you, you, you apprentice to, to the shaman, that's how they actually manage 
you know, it's considered, wow, those hallucinations, um, the auditory hallucinations, the visual hallucinations, it actually indicates that you're connected to the spirit world in a way that we're not. So yes, you need to be a shaman. And, and at the same time, also cross-culturally across time and space, um, cross-gender, you know, many shamans are what we would, or medicine people are, are what we would consider today and spirit mediums as well. Um, transgender, gay or lesbian, right? And so that really connected me. So I just learned, I was very interested again, you know, shamanism, whether it's in Southeast Asia or Native American tribes in North America, or, you know, in Siberia, Africa, wherever it might be, a lot of these similarities were really compelling. And so that, that made me think a lot about the nature of healing. And so how are we healing in the United States? What does that look like? Right. And here you've got nine people a day, you know, boom, boom, boom. You've got your 45 minutes um, versus how healing has traditionally been done. And then where, where might we fit? Because I thought, eh, I don't know if, if I really do fit in this very standardized way of doing therapy. So I, I always, from the beginning, was very interested in kind of expanding, you know, learning about how to expand my view of what it might mean to, to be a healer and to heal. And that's why expressive arts therapy really grabbed me. Again, the psychodrama really influenced me, this idea of trance, because that's, I mean, that's how a lot of shamanism works, right? Is that the shaman goes into trance or the people they're healing go into trance. I mean, so hypnosis really grabbed me. Um, anyway, so all that to say, yes, I'm, I'm, I've always been all about thinking outside the box because it, it isn't a one size fits all. And, um, and I saw that in the VA. I mean, when, when the VA went to um, exposure therapy, like, holy shit, right? Like, okay, this is evidence-based and we can literally teach a monkey to do this. So now everyone, all the vets are going to go through exposure, you know, prolonged exposure therapy. Yay. And all I kept hearing was, well, I've been re-traumatized. Thank you, VA. You know, thank you, evidence-based therapy. Um, so yeah, I'm very skeptical. <laughs> about, and that's why I'm like, tarot is perfect because, you know, the right people, it's going to totally resonate with the right people. And that's great. Let's bring a little context to sort of what tarot is. And you've already, you know, given us so much good information. So 78 cards, Jungian archetypes. Um, can you tell tell us a little bit more about sort of where tarot started uh, and what was its in initial purpose? Yeah. So it's really interesting, especially because people who are very anti-tarot because of their religion. Um and, and and I understand because and again to answer the question, you know, according to and I forget what book in the in the the Bible, um, you know, says that you shouldn't foretell the future. Like that's only what the uh, the priests are allowed to do. That right. Mm. Um, but you know, originally tarot it comes out of the it comes out of northern Italy during the Renaissance, and these cards were created. Even though playing cards were created in China. And, real, and, and are coming to the West. If you think about Marco Polo, right? If you think about all the trade routes, so China and then through the Muslim world, right? So just thinking about um, that part of the world, uh, this idea of using cards um, for, for gambling, let's say, um, 
you know, it, it's reaching uh, Europe. But as far as tarot, as far as, okay, you've got these cards, but we're going to do something different with them. So originally tarot cards had religious Christian, Catholic, so Northern Italy, so had Catholic imagery on them. And uh, they were, it was a, it was a game, tarocci. It was a game that you played. Uh, so it was just a regular card game. And what's interesting is that, so you have that happening in the 14, you know, mid 1400s into the late 1400s. And so you have our Christian archetypal imagery. So it, it is funny when people talk about, oh, tarot, you know, it's, it's like a knife, right? I can spread butter on my bread with a knife or I can hurt somebody. I mean, it's, it's not the knife itself. It's how you're using it. So in and of themselves, tarot is a game with Christian imagery, again, specifically Catholic imagery. Um, but what happens, though, is it, it does become popular. And so certainly you have... Um, as the years are going on, you do have people um, creating or having decks, for example, the Romani, right? People might know as gypsies, but we're not gonna call them gypsies. Um, uh, the, the Romani or the, the Romani, certainly who are very persecuted, um, you know, who are, are people who've, again, originating out of India, right out of that part of the world, this, this group of people who suffered a lot of persecution are using uh, their own special deck um, that they've created for uh, divination, for fortune telling. So, so you start, you kind of have these different tracks as the years are going on. The cards are being used, again, as a, as a card game um, that can be used for gambling, certainly, start to be used for divination. Um, but not really used, not really connecting to esoterica, not really connecting to the metaphysical until really the mid 1800s, I want to say, and in France. So the French really into, again, metaphysical. And if you think about like the Freemasons, you know, mm -hmm. there are these societies, um, again, white men, but very interested in ancient Egypt because you've got Napoleon. Egypt, all of these artifacts, right, being stolen, coming into the museums, Britain, France, and Paris. So this fascination with Egypt, Egyptian mythology, the metaphysical, uh, and then a connection with the Kabbalah, right, out of out of Judaism, so Jewish mysticism. And so you you start to see after kind of a, a number of hundred years, right, so three hundred years or so, people are starting to connect the imagery on these cards with alchemy, with astrology, you know, again, with Kabbalah, Egyptian mythology. And as you fast forward to the late 1800s and early 1900s, um, you have a group called the, the Golden Dawn. So Aleister Crowley is, is connected, oh, yeah. I want to say with that, right? Um, so, so again, you have people in mostly in France, in England, who are very interested in esoterica, and they're they're using tarot cards as one vehicle to connect with with that world. 
and and really a, a huge kind of watershed moment in the history of tarot is I want to say 1909, where you have a member of the Golden Dawn, Arthur Edward Waite, A.E. Waite, who hires another member of the Golden Dawn, a, uh, a woman named Pamela Coleman Smith, to create a new tarot deck. And the tarot deck, it's called either the um, writer was the publisher, so the writer Waite, or to honor the author, we, we now, or the artist, we call it the Waite Smith deck but that deck becomes very special and basically influences all the decks coming after it because up until then the tarot deck was divided into four well five really two here i am four five two so two different aspects there's what we call the major arcana 22 cards major archetypes in terms of imagery again typically very catholic oriented um, and then the other part, the minor arcana for suits we know in playing cards, right? Because we have clubs and spades and diamonds, that sort of thing. So the other 56 cards um, are, you know, swords and wands and pentacles and cups. But traditionally, it's really funny because 99% of the time up until 1909, those cards were represented simply by the number of things in the suit. So for example, the five of wands, the picture on that card would simply be five sticks, you know, five mm -hmm. wands, that's it. Now, if we go back to 1491, there was one deck that it's called the Sola Busca deck, 1491, where every card had imagery. Now that did not catch on. So for the next 400 years, tarot decks, again, the major arcana had all the imagery and the other cards just had the number of whatever, you know, five cups, let's say, right? So there was an exhibition at the British Museum of copies of the Sola Busca. And we know that Pamela Coleman Smith was absolutely, because she copied several of the Sola Busca cards, we know she was influenced by this idea of, and she and Wait together, Every card is going to have a story. Mm. Every card, every one of the 78 cards is going to have imagery on it, some sort of story. And so that's what she did. And it, it absolutely caught on. And so what's fascinating, I would say that Pamela Coleman Smith is probably the most reproduced artist in history. And there's a lot of question. Um, it's unclear. Her family um, lived in Jamaica. Uh, we're not sure if she was Jamaican herself. We're also not sure if she's um, if she was queer, um, just because she kind of, her life kind of followed the same trajectory as a lot of queer women did in terms of never marrying and having female roommates, right? So it's like okay, so it's it's cool though to think about her art has been so influential in terms of how people have thought about what tarot is supposed to look like. It's really resonated with people. And so you really have a before and after in terms of 1909, where um, somehow her imagery has resonated so deeply that the majority of the time when people have created their own tarot deck, it, it's been heavily influenced by her iconography. Mm -hmm. You know, the way that she represented the Five of Cups is going to influence how people have, have um have themselves created their own five of cups. I mean, that's changing now, 
Um, but anyway, I mean, to answer your question, as far as like this winding road in terms of tarot cards and, um, and again, as you know, there are certainly people who use tarot cards to foretell the future. Um, again, the, once the Jungians, because even Carl Jung was aware of tarot cards and didn't write a lot about tarot cards, but certainly was interested enough in them. Like he was interested in the I Ching in mm. terms of, okay, what is it about this imagery that, that we can use to do work, you know, with the subconscious and how does it relate to archetypes? Um, but that's also where, you know, just the fact that tarot has a devil card, you know, that, that's where the church also gets up in arms um, and the death card, even though you've got, you know, the apocalypse, which is a pretty wild story in the New Testament, right? Um, somehow having a card with the devil is satanic. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, all that to say, I don't know now. So it, it, it has been a winding road. But, um, you know, certainly today, because of, of the importance of, of paying attention to diversity, you know, the decks that have been coming out, let's say for the last five or six years, are, are deliberately designed to be um, as representative as possible. And so, you know, I feel like that's, that's been a very important development. And nowadays, uh, there's something called soul collage which has been around for a while, right? And some people might've heard of soul collage and, and I love soul collage and, and I always joke with soul collage. I'm not trained to be a facilitator, but I, I often joke, you know, soul collage is a very safe way to say tarot mm. because in soul collage, you know, you're, you're creating your own cards using collage, right? Pulling images from magazines and other ephemera, right? But, usually, you know, it's easy to find magazines and tear out images that, that are archetypal that resonate. And then using collage, let's say on a five by eight cardstock, um, you know, making your own deck. And there are certainly rules in soul collage as far as how that's supposed to go. But I think knowing that there's nothing preventing us from creating our own deck that is super meaningful, I mean, it could only have five cards or it could have 15 cards. It doesn't matter. So I think it's the idea that we're creating a card that is meaningful to us because of the imagery. And so we can be as creative as, as we want. So I'm, I'm certainly not a stickler. I mean, right. Cultural anthropology shows us that culture is alive, right? Nothing is static. Um, culture is always taking on influences from other cultures and, and shape-shifting. And so it's the same with tarot, you know? Um, there are always gonna be traditionalists, but I feel like it's just an opportunity to be as creative as we feel called to be. Okay, so you shared an article and in this article, there was a quote from Herbert A. Simon, which was that computers were originally invented to process patterns denoting numbers, but they are not limited to that use. The patterns stored in them can denote numbers or words or lizards or thunderstorms or the idea of justice. If you open a computer and look inside, you will not find numbers. You will find patterns of electromagnetism. And then the author, Ina Sametsky, went on to say that 
We don't know what we may find if we ever open a human mind and look inside, but we may find something if we operate upon the mind projected through quite tangible properties of the tarot cards with their picturesque images that carry powerful symbolic meanings. So long quote, but that's great. Um, question from there. Um, when we think about what is accessible, you know, you've mentioned like subconscious material, what, what is accessible through a projective test or exercise? Like for example, how you apply tarot. Yeah. And it goes, it does go back to the ink blot, right? All these projective, and this is how it, it does become kind of quote evidence-based or legitimized, right? That tarot is in the grand tradition of the Rorschach, you know, inkblot tests. Um, but I think, you know, I, I really do believe what Carl Jung talked about in terms of the collective unconscious. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, there, there is imagery. I mean, that's, it's like the hero or the heroine with a thousand faces, right? If you think about Joseph Campbell and I want to honor, you know, Joseph Campbell focused on men, on heroes and that, you know, we absolutely have to focus on heroines as well. Um, but this idea that you see similar kinds of, of stories, narratives, archetypes across cultures, uh, you know, in fairy tales, myths, legends, that sort of thing. Um, but that being said, I think, I mean, what I've discovered is, is what I believe is that because of the nature of of the human psyche, so of the brain, because certainly the brain is going to process the imagery, right? Because we're taking it in through our senses, so our sense of sight. So, you know, and that's electrical impulses, you know, working through our brain. But that connecting to our soul, our psyche, that whole world that's, you know, the tip of the iceberg, right, is, is the conscious world and everything under that huge mass that's under the, under the water you know, the tarot, there's something, and and is it even explainable, but, but there's something about imagery that I think humans are primed for. And so when you just quickly, right? In other words, there hasn't been any sort of preparation. I just, I show you an image. Okay, what's coming up for you? that that is connecting to a very deep ancient place again working through the brain but instantly right connecting to our soul our psyche so there's something pretty magical because i think about yeah what what is it about the cards you know what what is the mechanism what is going on but again i think that's why people do art therapy right there's something about imagery that just cuts right through and even if something isn't necessarily an, uh, a major archetypal force, like we talk about the trickster or, you know, the empress, the emperor, mother, father, anima, anima, whatever, it, it could be anything. And I think that's what's beautiful about therapy or healing is that anything can be therapeutic as long as it's our intention to use it in a therapeutic way. Mm. And so what I found over 20 years is that no matter what image, even though it might be a quote mundane image, <clears throat> not something that you would look at and think, oh, this is real archetypal major stuff. 
it can be the most mundane, excuse me, imagery. People find a way to connect. If the intention is this has a message for me, in my experience, people are always going to connect with some message or their psyche is always going to articulate some message related to what they're looking at. <clears throat> so for me, that's, that's the power. I mean, that's, mm. that's, I'm sure if that answers the question, but that, that's kind of what's coming up for me, mm-hmm. like listening to that quote and, you know, thinking about why does this work? Mm. So, um, so I'm curious, what is it like for you when you're, you've got a client who's maybe very willing to, you know, engage with tarot in this projective sort of way? Um, are there particular things that you notice can get in the way for clients or is it all just kind of part of the path? Whatever shows up is obstacle or not is path. Oh, I like how you put that. Right. Right. Anything that shows up, including the obstacle is the path. Well, the, I mean, the obstacle gives us information about where to go. And again, I like what you've written about in terms of all of this messaging that we've gotten. Again, I, I believe so deeply in that. And one of the things, you know, the messaging about second guessing ourselves and certainly with women, um, but I think people in general, because it is considered very feminine, right? This idea of connecting with intuition, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, right? Because um, everyone is, has that capacity. And especially if people have been punished. Well, if you've been punished for, you know, for being honest, right? Or even it's super scary to be honest. Like if our intuition is saying, leave this relationship or leave this job or leave this town, um, the implication, you know, or come out as gay or lesbian or, you know, trans or whatever it might be. Um, I think we protect ourselves by ignoring our intuition, because even though we suffer on a soul level, um, again, the implications of kind of, uh, of doing what we're needing to do, you know, it can be very inconvenient and scary, you know? And so we love certainty. And even though it's not our soul truth, um, when I say soul, S-O-U-L, truth, um, it feels safer, even though we suffer inside. So I, I think it's, you know, that that's going to challenge us to actually take seriously, like you're saying, and not, you know, and, and we're always going to be second guessing ourselves like, ah, oh, really? Or, yeah. Um, so I think to go back to the messaging, um, or the messaging, you know, I love, like I'm trained in EMDR. Um, I love doing emotional freedom technique. I mean, I think and I love schema therapy. That's a lot of what your book reminded me of. Um, so really becoming clear on what what do I believe about myself, other people, the world? Where does it come from, right? Family of origin, like why do I believe these things? What what um, what was I told? What you know, implicitly, explicitly? What did I learn? And now how is this serving me today? Because I think that's a great conversation. Then if someone's feeling blocked, we can explore, okay, so there's a reason, like there's a good reason why you feel this way. You know, let's explore the origins. Uh, Could it be 
a belief that you've outgrown, right? I mean, how does it serve you? How does it keep you safe? How does it hinder you? How does it keep you small? Um, and again, I would incorporate probably something like emotional freedom technique, the tapping, because that's, I'm biased, that, that's my go-to for that. But I do, like you say, the obstacle is the way because using the tarot cards now is bringing up, is making alive this block. So great, now we know what we need to do, right? We need to address it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, the tarot I think is going to bring up important things to consider if a person isn't open to them, right? becomes like Groundhog Day. It's like, you know, life is going to keep giving us those lessons until we learn them. But it kind of, it allows us with our client to articulate like, okay, so why, you know, why does it make sense to maybe brush off this message that, that mm -hmm. the tarot does want to give you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have like a personal example that you'd be willing to share? I think, well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I, I have a, a deck next to me. Um, what am I, well, I'll tell I'll give, I don't know if something that's just popping into my mind is as far as like a really powerful experience was, um, I mean, I was working with a woman and I forget and this, gosh, this is maybe like 10 over 10 years ago. But the reason I bring this up is, um, I want to say it was a six of wands. There's a guy on a horse with, and he's carrying a wand. And at the top of the wand is a wreath. So it's a circle. So it's a, you know, a wreath is a circle. Um, it's certainly not a major part of the card, but as soon as the card came up and the woman was looking at it, she immediately gravitated to that circle. And for her, it was a uterus. Mm. And that led to a whole conversation about um, childbirth and um, difficulties conceiving. Again, it's been a long time, but I, I just remember we went down this path. And and what's powerful and fascinating to me is is that shape, right? A wreath at the top of you know again not not a major aspect of the imagery of the card but that's where that's where she went she was ready i mean that was very again alive for her this mm -hmm. idea of of birth birthing and children and that sort of thing and all these emotions surrounding that so i mean that's just an ex for me it's not exactly what you're asking but but just this idea of i think often if people give themselves permission they can be ready to go very deep and very wide about mm -hmm. something and it almost, and they're going to find something in the card that will trigger that. Mm -hmm. I think again, that this is why art therapy is so powerful. So yeah, I just, I mean, what's, what I'm remembering is just, it led to a very in-depth conversation about birth coming from that that image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. That brings to mind, you know, it sounds like having any sort of projective art based, creative based yeah. tool. I mean, it sounds like that could also just be so useful as burnout prevention for the therapist. Just, 
I'm thinking about how without those tools, I know I have felt this obligation to somehow pull those sorts of pieces out of thin air, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, if I can just remember that, you know, this one time she mentioned something about her father and then just like having this sense of, of obligation to pull together threads and complete a picture for the client and to hand it back to them where Mm -hmm. it sounds like all that information is already readily available potentially to the client. If you can just kind of give them a window to look at it through. Yes. I love it. I love it. Candace. I love what you're saying. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true where clients going to do all the work, right? If you, and and a go-to question for me therapeutically, right? Like how, how, like there's, so many ways you can use tarot in session. And that's why I wrote that book. I mean, I wrote uh, the tarot activity book because I was looking, because the books, the few books about tarot and psychology were more theoretical. It wasn't Mm -hmm. about like, this is how you can actually use the cards in session, which is why I loved all these art therapy books that were just collections of activities. You know, here's a hundred art therapy activities you can do. So I thought, yeah, there needs to be this book for tarot. Uh, which is why I created it. But one of the simplest things is you can you can ask the question, what do I need to know right now? Right? Mm-hmm. What is and, and even, you know, what is something that I'm ignoring? What is something I'm ignoring that I should be paying attention to right now? And then just have the client choose a card. And so all sorts of things are going to come up from that. And so like you say, you don't have to spend as the therapist, mental energy pulling together those threads because whatever the, the truth is about what the client is ignoring that they should be paying attention to, I mean, in my experience, it's, it's going to be plain to the client as they look at that card, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, you're, you're simply holding that space. They're doing, they're doing that work. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned I've got your books in my Amazon cart. I'm so excited to read through because it sounds like you've got some really concrete prompts for, you know, how to help yeah. providers engage. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if um, if maybe I can take the risk here of being mm-hmm. visible on this podcast and if you could maybe lead yeah. me through an exercise that you might use with the client. Sure. Sure. Yes. Oh, if, if y'all, if everyone can see Candace's face, um, I'm making no, a lot of faces right now. <laughs> yes. Well, I appreciate you being brave. I mean, we could do, you know, one, one that is, um, is simple, but, but can be effective. I mean, there's, and back in the day when I was in person now, now it's different doing it online. I, I have a document camera and you know, I, I have my decks and, if I have clients who have their own decks, obviously, you know, it's, it's very different because with some prompts, for example, I might, I might say, okay, Candace, you know, if you have your own deck or we're in person, I would say, go through the deck and I want you to choose, choose a card to represent the problem, you know, choose a card to represent Candace with mm-hmm. the problem. And, you know, you're going to look through and you're going to deliberately choose a card. And it's going to give you and me a lot of information, right? Based on the card that you choose. So choose the card that represents the problem. Choose the card that represents Candace with the problem. 
uh, I want you to find a card that represents a possible solution to the problem, and then find a card that represents Candace without the problem, mm -hmm. right? the energy of okay. Candace, so, right? Yeah. So that's, and I'm not going to do that with you right now, but that, that's an example of how you can actually use the cards in a way uh, very deliberately. Like I want okay. you to deliberately look through the deck and find the imagery to represent X, Y, Z. Which sounds um, like that would also be maybe a significant difference from how tarot might be used in a fortune telling spiritual sense, which is like, you don't look at the imagery you draw yeah. and you kind of allow it then to be interpreted for you. Yes, exactly. Okay. Traditional uh, divinatory readings, you know, with, with a fortune teller, it's very passive for the recipient. Mm -hmm. We say the querent, the, the recipient. Um, so the, the, the person reading the cards is going to be very, you know, I'm pulling cards for you. This is what I see. Mm -hmm. so you're mm -hmm. just, okay. so the, the recipient is literally just receiving that information, whereas therapeutically, the roles are reversed, right? I'm facilitating activities where the, my client is active. You know, mm -hmm. They're the one connecting with information, processing the information, articulating the information, right? What's coming up for you. So it's, yeah, the roles are reversed. Okay. Yeah. yeah but for you, I wonder, you know, with this in terms of um, for listeners as well, what might be most helpful perhaps is I've got a deck in my hand. I mean, how do you feel about asking the deck, you know, asking the universe, uh, what is something that Candace should be paying attention to that perhaps she is not right now. Well, like, what's something you need to on board to ask the okay. universe. All right. So what's yeah. something that Candace needs to know? Is that okay? Deep breath. Again, if y'all can Candace is is getting ready. So what I'm gonna do, this is how I do it online, is I'm gonna start, I'm gonna focus on Candace and this question. I'm gonna start moving the cards around, they're face down. I'm gonna ask you when you feel called to, to say stop. And so when you tell me, Drea, stop, I'm going to pull the bottom card from the deck and that's going to be your card. Okay. And then I'm going to show it. Um, again, normally I'd have a document camera, but I can show it up to the camera so you can look at the imagery and then you'll just let me know based on the imagery, what is coming up for you but always connecting it to the question of what is something that, that Candace, that I need to be paying attention to in my life okay. that I've been ignoring. Mm. Okay. So that being said, I'm going to start moving the cards around and whenever you're ready, you just tell me when to stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. So. I'm going to take the bottom card and I am going to hold it. Okay. And are you able to see the image? Two of air. Okay. So there's a, yeah. what looks like a, a female looking person with a blue. Yeah. If you could scoot it a little that way. That okay. Way? Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So I see the two birds. I see she's got her eyes closed. Okay. Yeah. And so I just kind of name what shows up for me. Yeah. If you think about 
the image of this card related to, so the card has a message for you. Mm -hmm. And the message is related to something that you haven't been paying attention to in your life, but it's really important that you start, right? That you mm -hmm. start paying attention to this in your life. And, and like you were saying, you know, describing the card in terms of a woman with her eyes closed, surrounded by leaves, and there's two birds. What do you think she wants you to know? What is the card? What does the card want you to know? I mean, a few words leap to mind. So there's trust, there's beauty. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that her eyes are closed, that just yeah. uh, screams trust to me, you know, that you can be still and safe and yeah, it's okay. Well, and, and let's stay with the idea of trust. Is, is there an, an area in your life in terms of specifically an area or even a person or yourself where you haven't been trusting and starting to have faith mm. and trust actually is what is called for and it will serve your highest good? I mean, does, does anything come to mind as far as an aspect of your life? That, that you feel comfortable sharing. Certainly. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, it's always money. It's always like yeah. resources, financial safety and security. It's like, yeah. that's always the thing that it feels tenuous even when it's not, you know? So it's like, I can, there's clearly this sort of, I will reject any data that would say you can trust that it's okay. And, and how does it make you, and so kind of living in a state of maybe feeling like things are precarious mm -hmm. or, or kind of um, lack, I mm -hmm. mean, how does that make you feel? Um, I think it just drives an urgency to produce, to work. Uh, and so, I mean, the fact that her eyes are closed, that feels so significant, you know, that she, she seems to be resting and yeah. I don't feel like I can. Yeah. So let's stick with that for a moment, because if you, if you could describe a little bit more in detail, if you notice the energy of her body, what do you notice in terms of, of her physical energy? Yeah. I mean, it's like, she's just, uh, her body seems relaxed. I mean, the fact that her head is tilted, it's like, it just seems like she's kind of effortlessly listening to the birds, you know, like what else oh, would what I are the be birds... doing right now? Yeah. Cause what, what did the birds want her to know? Oh, what do the birds want her to know? It's like you said, she's listening to the birds, not just the beauty of their song, but what, what message do the birds want her Ooh. to pay attention to? Yeah, Freedom that they are free. Yeah. Right. Birds represent freedom, don't they? Yeah. And how does that relate to Candace? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, what shows up is like a sense of, uh, I don't know if I would know freedom. Mm. If I Have you ever experienced a sense of a visceral sense of freedom in your life? I'm going to tune in. I'm going to listen to my body on that one and see if there are sensations with that. Yeah. Okay. So that word freedom. Yeah. 
It's interesting because I feel it like in my, my attention is drawn to my arms. Uh-huh. Do you have a sense of why that might be? I think phys physical movement. So uh, freedom, I think I felt most free when I've played certain sports and done certain martial arts. Like mm. just being in my body is like a a freeing experience yeah something you talk about in your book mm, yeah right yeah. yeah so this idea of kind of self-imposed but always it always makes sense why as we were talking about before we have the beliefs that we do let's say surrounding finances and if you think about money as energy and freedom and thinking about how you might connect with a sense of freedom daily, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, how might you, again, knowing what it, having that felt sense, knowing what freedom feels like or could feel like, knowing that it's always possible in terms of where are you going to direct your attention right on lack or on abundance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i wonder when it comes to because there's a lot that we don't have control over mm -hmm. in our lives and so asking in terms of what i do have control over how can I more frequently connect with the energy of this card? Mm. And, and I wonder, and it's funny because there's a glare, but it's, it's the sun, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. Like the yeah. glare, if all you could see, like the glare of the camera and the light is creating a sun. And if you yeah. think about the energy of the sun, I mean, what, what's the message in terms of when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. What does the card want you to know about creating, like living in healthy relationship with the necessity of earning a living? Mm. I mean, what, the, especially yeah. as you kind of call attention to the sun, you know, I mean, the first thing that shows up is give more, you know, not necessarily work harder but um that i mean i just the sun brings up like a total abundance right like it's never out it never runs out yeah and so it's yes. constantly giving yeah okay see so that's that's the thing because and I, it makes me think about victor frankel and man's search for meaning yes. and right so the people who had nothing mm -hmm. virtually nothing in the concentration camps and yet you know that there were people who who literally gave away their last piece of bread yes and and what what is it that gives our lives meaning and purpose and no matter where you might be financially if you're connected to a belief that you'll always have enough and and that you are enough mm. right that you don't need to be 
anywhere or anything that you're you're not currently mm -hmm. that everything is perfect just the way it is in this moment yeah mm -hmm. oh wow another thing that just showed up is like give yeah. with um give when no one's watching mm. Because um, what your eyes are closed, right? Yep. So what what does that mean? What does it mean to you to to give when no one's watching? Why is that meaningful? Uh, well, so not necessarily that I'm I'm charitable and then waiting for applause, but like I mm -hmm. I definitely see that um, the way that I try to be valuable to people, like to experience my own worth and value, is by giving my time. You know, giving giving of my energy and effort. Um, and for me to be kind of in a more abundant state or space for one, just like you're saying, like giving, knowing you're already enough, mm -hmm. um, but also giving without it being, you know, transactional or, yeah. about making sure other people know I'm some kind of way or whatever, you know, is yeah. Fewer strings, fewer, fewer strings around giving. Mm. Well, because you brought up and again, you see how this can, this can expand or contract, right? Because, yeah. you know, this idea of when you said, you know, we, we go into this profession because we have a big heart, right? right. We're very sensitive yep. and we have a big heart and we want to help and empower people. Um, but there's that shadow side. Like you yeah. said, if, if, if we're giving, but we're sometimes, uh, again, we're, we're giving to, right, to prove to ourselves that we're worthy. Um, and so I love what you were mentioning because it sounds like you're connected to motivation. Like, okay, mm -hmm. um, how can I do what's important to me, but again, be very clear about my motivation behind it so that I'm not burning myself out? Because if you're continually giving and you're not being able to rejuvenate yourself, right? So if, if you're not equally giving to yourself mm -hmm. and, you know, being quote selfish, right? Which is such a loaded word. Um, but really doing everything you can do to rest and rejuvenate and recharge your batteries, then right shadow side, we, we, we really hurt ourselves um, and people around us. Mm -hmm. So in terms of creating this relationship with abundance that feels healthy, that feels balanced, Yeah. Mm. It's such a powerful card. I mean, it's just so beautiful. And yeah, I mean, it just immediately does kind of elicit uh, like a calming state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's where I wonder, you know, an important question is, right, how, how might you access this energy? You know, what, what I always go to a a four question prompt, which is, you know, to, to access this energy on a more regular basis, what, what might you stop doing in your life? Uh, right. What, and I'll just say, just for you to kind of 
that it's what what might you stop doing what might you start doing what might you do more of and what might you do less of this is something i'd explore with a client but like that idea of what what might you stop and again not that you have to share um mm -hmm. unless you're comfortable doing so but in order to access this energy more frequently than you currently are you know asking yourself what is something to stop doing in my life mm. that's interesting because something very concrete showed up it was okay inside timer oh inside timer yeah yeah but not like teaching on inside timer okay and to stop doing that mm-hmm and I see you again, if I'm looking at your face. Yeah. Well, but isn't that like, we know the truth in our heart. Yeah. Oh gosh. Woo. And this just gives it the chance to come out for us mm -hmm. to connect with it. If we're brave it's, enough. It's just so interesting. And I know we're, yeah. we're at time and I, I know you've got other things you probably want to do today, but no, that's okay. Listen, I live for this. This is okay. Oh my gosh. Well, it's just so interesting because insight timer is this meditation app. Yeah. And I've got all kinds of meditations and stuff on there. And it is like just so representative of who I feel like I'm supposed to be. Um, you know, I mean, just like, oh, okay, you're a meditation teacher. And so you do this thing where you, you know, you come up with all these meditations and you give them to the world and whatever. And yeah. so, which side note, I'm also in a meditation training, teacher training program right now. So this may just really blow up my life. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, and this, I mean, do you have time? I have a little bit of time. I do. Fun. Let's go. Let's go. Because <laughs> this, again, I live for this. I live for this because this allows us, and I'm actually, ah, I'm feeling bare clamped, you know, which means in Yiddish, think I want to cry because like, how often like the cards can be a catalyst for conversations that might not otherwise come up and if if we kind of listen back to our conversation with this reading right kind of see where it it goes like okay where, where did the conversation go the different places that it's it's touching on right and so you know from finances and and kind of worrying about you know, kind of having faith that, you know, um, again, living in the world that we're living in and just dealing with the stress of having to earn a living, um, but, and freedom, um, but, but also this idea of obligation, like that you're supposed to, maybe just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should be doing it. Because if it doesn't align on a soul level, Right. That's the key. The key is you are living a life in alignment in a way that your soul, right, your heart of hearts wants, you know, knows that is best for you. Mm -hmm. And so even though you might be getting great feedback as a meditation teacher, facilitator, if, if it doesn't fill you up as much as other things, or it's taking energy where you could be spending that time doing something else that's more fulfilling, or it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a time and energy obligation, or even quote, I would quote, but like a drain, perhaps like, eh, I mean, that's a hard word, but like, and because what you're saying is like, oh, shit, here, I'm, 
I'm in a program like doing this training, it's going to be a bit inconvenient and even maybe costly if what my soul wants me to do is, is not travel that road. And you can see where in that moment, be like, oh, well, just now I'm going to finish it. I'm just going to do, I've already invested, you know, I'm, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to do it. Whereas your soul might be like, cut your losses. <laughs> it's not who you really are. You're meant to be doing something else. Maybe I don't have to be a teacher. Mm. Which is Ooh. what Insight Timer is about. Well, think about that phrase. Maybe I don't have to be a teacher. That's your mantra. But yes, mm. go ahead. Sorry. Gosh, you're so right. I'm so identified with teaching. I'm getting for clumps. Oh. oh my gosh. I'm so identified with teaching and I could just close my eyes and listen to the birds. Yes. And that's, you know, because you, right, right. Again, just because you can do it doesn't mean that you have to. We, we outgrow certain roles. Mm -hmm. Or there's certain seasons of our life where it's not as alive. It doesn't need to be as alive for us. And see, this is where I might incorporate even some tapping, some emotional freedom technique. Yeah. Just on the belief of, you know, I should be teaching because I'm good at it, or this is what I'm supposed to do. It's like, all right, that's, that's a belief I need to perhaps uproot and replace with, I don't have to yeah. teach. Or I can teach in other ways. Where I can, like you said, I can just, I've been working hard. I can just focus on listening to the birds. Mm. I can just focus on listening to the birds. Yeah. Trea. <gasps> oh, <laughs> so great. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank Aww. you. This is just a beautiful, and I mean, that was like, what, 10 minutes? But what... What is always true for me is that it, it always, I mean, every time I use tarot cards, it, it always creates a very, and I know you use rich a lot, but like just a very rich interaction, mm -hmm. right? A, a, a rich connection for the person and important parts of themselves. And so it was really cool just for you to be willing to go there, you know, to try it out, to see what would happen and, and to talk about what was coming up. And, you know, you kept saying like, okay, this is, this is what, like the first thing that pops into my head. Right. And, and those are, oh, it gets the free association, right? Those, whatever is immediately coming up for you, that's the truth. Mm. And we can either brush it away. Like I can either now go and eat a box of cookies. I mean, that was my, you know, so emotional eating, right. I can distract myself a million different ways or, and this is, what we do as therapists, that's beautiful, is that we can say, so let's sit and continue to explore and talk about what's coming up. And like you said, the blocks, perhaps, because th that's important to know. Like, wow, I've got this identity and it, it might be, who am I going to disappoint other mm -hmm. people? Am I going to disappoint myself? You know, so it's just, again, we could talk forever about it. And that that's why that's why I love tarot <laughs> so, and just one card. You don't need 10 card, right? You don't need a 10 card spread. Just one card is enough. My mind is blown. This was amazing. Aww. 
Oh, Drea. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm so appreciative that you have shared this gift and shared this time. And I, gosh, I just hope everybody goes out and buys your book and starts using tarot in their sessions because what a powerful tool. Yes, absolutely. Well, that does it for our show today, folks. In other news, if you're interested in getting some continuing education credit for listening to this podcast, the membership is now available at beyondtherapy.thinkific.com. So you can pay 34 bucks and get access to all of our content. We're over 20 continuing credit hours at this point. So head on over if you want to check that out. And also follow us on Instagram and TikTok, Beyond Therapy Podcast, for all the good stuff, clips, and behind the scenes. See you next time. This is Dr. Candace Creaseman mowry signing off. Beyond Therapy is brought to you by Creaseman Counseling, mental wellness for all. Visit www.creaseman-counseling.com for more information. Thanks for listening. I hear-